It's good to be with you this morning. What a beautiful day God has given us. Um, I forgot that I had a bald head, and I, as I sit there with my bald head, I'm reminded that my head is bald. I feel that sun on my head. Um, you bald people can identify, I'm sure. For those of you who can't, I'm jealous, but that's okay. God gives each person different gifts, right? That is not the gift he gave me. What a, what a great week. Um, I got to spend great time with my family at camp, or not camp, uh, Punderson State Park this past week. If you've ever been there, it's a beautiful state park. Really enjoyed our time fishing, watching the boys swim in the lake, and uh, using the vamper. I, I think I spoke about the vamper last summer at an outdoor service. Uh, so that's been fun. We are starting a new sermon series called Walking in the Light, and we are going to journey through the book of Ephesians this summer. And this book is just, I mean, all of scripture is God-breathed, and so every word means something. But this is just such an electric book, and so I'm so thankful that we get to journey through this together this summer. We're going to... It's really going to be a bird's eye view of the book. There's so much there in each chapter that in the, I think, five or six weeks that we're going to be journeying through it, no way can you even begin to say all that can be said on this book. But we're going to do more of a bird's eye view. We're going to do that with Ephesians 1 this morning. So let me just read this passage to you. It is so chalked full of wonderful spiritual truth. So let's, let's check it out. That's funny. All right, here we go. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom 
and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Oh my goodness. What wonderful, what a wonderful passage. So here's what, here's a big idea I'd like you to latch a hold of this morning. It is this. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now to unpack this big idea, I want to help us answer three questions. What are the spiritual blessings God offers? Why does he offer them? How does one get them? So what are the spiritual blessings God offers? Why does he offer them? How does one get them? Uh, I'm just going to let you know in advance that that first question, I'm going to spend most of our time on it. So let's start with that. What are the spiritual blessings God offers? In Ephesians 1.3, he says, Paul says to the Ephesians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he goes on to say um, that... <laughs> Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. And so that is the first spiritual blessing that we see in this passage. God offers us to be holy and without blame before him. This is a tremendous thought. Uh, really, to say holy and without blame is to say the same thing. It's, it's two ways of saying the same thing. A person that is holy is morally pure. In other words, they have always done what they should have done in every situation out of the right motivation, in the right way, at the right time. That's what it means to be without blame. That's what it means to be holy. It's to be morally perfect. Perhaps you have a family member that views you as the golden child. You're the apple of their eye. You can do no wrong in their sight. If you happen to have the privilege of having somebody think that way about you, it is a tremendous feeling. My grandma Carol, I've told you before, sees me this way. I think everybody should have at least one person that views them this way. In her eyes, I am the gift. I can do no wrong, right? It's wonderful. Now, this is the sort of love that God offers to each of you. You can be the apple of his eye. You can be his golden child. You can be the one in which uh, he views you as you can do no wrong and you have done no wrong. It's, it's a remarkable thing to think about. Now, I love that my grandma Carol thinks this way about me, but you know what? Her opinion really doesn't matter. Why? Because she's not going to determine my eternal destiny. And so what she thinks or any other human, what they think, it really doesn't matter. Only, only what God thinks matters because he's going to determine my eternal destiny. And so 
how awesome it is to be holy and without blame in God's eyes. Um, have you ever um, heard of the Dave Ramsey quote, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like? Have you ever heard of that quote? Let me just read it one more time. We buy, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And so when I'm thinking about being holy and without blame before God's eyes, this is what I think of. We spend our time, energy, and money on activities that have little overall value in order to impress people whose opinions don't really matter. The blessing of being holy and without fault in God's eyes. It frees you from the pursuit of human approval. It frees you from the fear of failure. It frees you from straining and striving to make something of yourself. It frees you to live relaxed in Jesus's easy yoke because you know that you are holy and without blame in God's eyes. Secondly, what's the second spiritual blessing that God offers? Adoption as sons. Ephesians 1 5 says he predestined us to adoption as sons. You know, it, it's a tremendous blessing to know that when you stand before God, when it comes time to, when Jesus returns, that he's going to declare you without fault in his eyes. It is even, it's, it's, an, it's an extraordinary thing to know, in addition to that, that you're not only the judge, you know, the judge isn't just passing a good verdict over you, he's actually your father. Think about that. You know, in a court of law, when the judge takes off his robe and he leaves the, the law room, he leaves the court, he's not thinking about those people that have been tried before him. He's not, you know, uh, working for their highest good outside of the court of law. Um, he is only thinking about them when he's at work. But we, the judge, is actually our father. And so... He is working for our good always. I know some of you have had lousy fathers, and Father's Day can be a really difficult time for you because of that. But can you for a moment imagine the, the best father that you can think of? Just, a, just picture the best earthly father that you can possibly think of. What is that father like? What are you imagining? You're probably imagining a father that cares deeply about his children. You're probably imagining, imagining a father that would lay down his life in order to save one of his children. You're probably imagining a father that knows his children intimately and spends a ton of time with them. You're probably imagining a father that enjoys laughing and playing with his children. A father that teaches his children well. A father that protects his children from anything that will ultimately harm them. A father that uses his resources to ensure that his children are well-fed, well-clothed. A father that does everything in his power to make sure that his children become all that God desires them to be, that they reach their full potential. Now, if a good earthly father who has limited resources, limited ability, is able to be this to a child and struggles with sin... Can you imagine how good our Heavenly Father is to His children who doesn't have limited wisdom, limited resources, limited power? 
He is a good, good father to us. He does all these things and more. To be adopted into God's family means that God as your father is always available to know intimately. He's always available to protect you from things that would ultimately destroy you. Make sure all your physical, emotional, spiritual, and financial needs are met. He's available to empower you to become all that he created you to be. And in his unlimited power, resources, wisdom, he is working all things together for your ultimate good. This is the Father that we have. Thank God on Father's Day for his goodness and greatness as our Father. Third spiritual blessing, check this out, wisdom and understanding. Verses 7 through 12 talks about how God blesses his children with these things. These are part of the gifts that he gives. The Bible, you know, we tend to think of wisdom as knowledge. The Greeks back in Jesus' day, this is how they thought of wisdom as having information, having knowledge. The Bible says, no, wisdom is applied knowledge. It's not just having information. It's knowing how to use that information to be successful in life. I've been playing the guitar for 25 years now. And I've learned a bit about music theory, chords, scales, modes, chord formation, those sorts of things. Um, but I recently came across the guitar guy on YouTube named Guthrie Trapp, who is a phenomenal gu guitarist. He's, he's so phenomenal. And I, am, I have so enjoyed learning from him. Because what he does, he is wise when it comes to guitar playing. He knows all this information. And he's able to apply that information in any musical situation that he finds himself in. And that's why he's a very sought-after session guitarist in Nashville. He's played for all the country stars. He says that in, when he's teaching, he is a professional, not a professor. And I love that. Because what he is saying is, I'm going to teach you how to use this stuff in real life. We're not going to get stuck in the in the theory of it he is a professional not a professor by the way mary to my surprise scheduled a private lesson with him for me and so i get to go play with him in nashville on our way to destin florida on vacation so really pumped up about that it's going to be fun i look forward to gaining guitar wisdom from this man who's so wise in guitar playing right applied knowledge now he can give me guitar wisdom but who can give us wisdom for life um, I recently purchased a pellet grill and I thought it would be great especially when I first started using it to have the inventor of the pellet grill with me as I was you know slow cooking a brisket for 16 hours they could they could tell me how to use this thing because what I've learned is if you use the pellet grill in the way that it was designed, guess what? You're going to have really tasty, juicy meats, right? If not, you can literally, like, harm yourself. You can blow up the grill. I have to keep the lid open when I start the grill. And as it's starting to light those pellets, because if not, the smoke can get trapped in there. And I've seen YouTube videos of that thing, just the lid exploding off of it. Now... Why does it make sense that the inventor can tell me how to use it? Well, they have designed it. They know the ins and outs. They know what to do and what not to do. 
And so it's only logical that if we are going to have applied, if we're going to apply knowledge that leads to success in life, it's only logical that we're going to get it from God, our creator, our inventor. He is the one whose wisdom we, we need, and he can give it to us. Have you ever heard the saying, never take financial advice from a broke person? Have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard, don't take uh, workout advice from um, an overweight person? Right? So we are constantly, this is what we're doing as people. Um, everybody's compared, compared to God is broke in life, right? And what we're doing is we are constantly taking life advice from broke people. We do it all the time. If you're going to take advice from a broke person, only take it because they got the advice from God, and you can verify it in his word. That's when you can take advice from another broke person. Why don't we take advice from the inventor and creator of life who knows where abundant life can be found? Look, in Ephesians 1, 7 through 10, we see a piece of advice and wisdom and knowledge that he gives to the Ephesians and God gives to us. Check this out. Verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made, abound toward, made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Check this out. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. One major piece of wisdom that God imparts to his people is that he is going to return and he's going to make all things right. All the disintegration that has taken place because of sin, all the division, it is once again, this world is going to be a unified, integrated whole. Jesus lets us in, on, God lets us in on that future reality. And I tell you what, if you live in light of that reality, if you apply that reality to your life, it will change your life. It will change how you live. Fourth spiritual blessing, inheritance. Ephesians 1 through 11, or 111 says, In him also we have obtained an inheritance. One of the great benefits of being a son is that you inherit the wealth of your father, right? Um, it's great if your father has wealth. If he doesn't, many fathers die without a penny to their name, and so it doesn't matter if you're an heir to a father that dies without a penny to his name. Why is it so great to be an heir of God? Well, his wealth is off the charts. What does he own? What does God own? He owns everything. You know, parents talk about giving their children the world. God will literally do that. If you're an heir of God, you will inherit the world. That's your inheritance. Not the world as it is now, but the world made new. The world without evil, sin, and death. You will inherit that. You will rule over that forever with Jesus on his behalf. Talk about an inheritance. What a tremendous blessing that will be. You know, we, we can sing in this world, even though it's tainted by sin, evil, and death, we can still sing with Louis Armstrong. What a, oh, you know, what a wonderful world. 
because there's so much beauty to it, even though it's under the curse of sin. Can you imagine when that curse of sin is removed as far as that curse is found? We, I, we might just taste things we've never tasted and have tastes that we've never experienced. We might be able to see colors that we've never been able to see before. I, I just can't imagine. It's going to be amazing. Fifth spiritual blessing, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God gives his children... And what it does for the child of God is it seals the child and it guarantees the child of their future inheritance. What does this mean? Um, Some of you know that over the past several years, I've gotten into woodworking. And Mary, um, I'm just thinking actually as I talk about this, she's a pretty amazing wife. I I just mentioned the guitar lesson. She bought me a, um, it's a wood brander. And, and on it, it's, it's a thing, you know, you, you make a project and you get that thing hot and you stamp your project with the brander, if that's a word. And it says on it, um, cockerel workshop handmade for his glory, right? And what that does is when somebody sees that on a project that I made, people are going to know who created it, you know, who it really in a, in a way belongs to. When when God seals his children with the Holy Spirit, this is what it means. He is taking the Spirit as his stamp that he stamps upon the believer. And the Holy Spirit in them identifies them as his child. That's what it means to be sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now, what does it mean that the Spirit also guarantees our inheritance? Well, The Spirit guarantees our inheritance in two ways. First, the Holy Spirit assures us of our future inheritance. Romans 8.16 says this, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so what the Holy Spirit does in, in the child of God's life is it takes the objective reality that this, this, this knowledge that I have in my head that I hold uh, intellectually and cognitively, what the Holy Spirit does is it takes that knowledge and then makes it real to the child of God's heart. And you feel it in your emotions. Look, the Christian life, plenty of it is... You know, you're feeling one way and you got to go another way. But there are these moments and there are these times and it happens. It happens, you know, at different points, at different times where you feel the truth. It's real to your heart. If the truth of your future inheritance of the new world. If you haven't felt that in your emotions. You may know about God, but you've never met God. Have you met him? Do you, do you feel it? Do you feel him? The second way that the Holy Spirit guarantees uh, our future inheritance to us, it not only makes us feel the reality, but it also, what it does is it brings God's promised future. The Holy Spirit brings God's promised future to us in the present in part. And what I mean by this is the Holy Spirit, when it lives inside of us, it starts rewiring us from the inside out. And we start thinking in new ways. We start desiring things that we never desired before. 
and we start acting in ways that we've never acted before that are in alignment with the ways of God in his kingdom. And what is happening is God's promised future where everything is restored and renewed and functioning the way God intended it to is starting in the child of God. The promised future is coming to them in the present, not in full, but in part. And this is a sign that, hey, God's promised future will surely come because he's already begun the new creation. And so we know it's going to come. I recently just heard about a guy that I played baseball with, and he was a great athlete. He got really involved in, in, in heroin. He, was, he became a heroin addict, um, a crystal meth addict. And I just recently discovered that this man is, has been freed from these addictions, and he is now at work to liberate others. And Jesus is the one who has liberated him. This is God's promised future coming into the present in part. New creation has begun. The fullness of it is on its way. The best is yet to come. Now, quickly, last two questions. So those are the five spiritual blessings that Paul mentions in chapter 1 that God offers. The second question is, why does God offer these spiritual blessings? Why does he do it? Verse 4 tells us so that we can be before him in love. Verse 5 tells us it was his good pleasure. Verse 6 tells us it was his grace. And then in verse 7 states he did according to the riches of his grace. And then verse 9 says once again that it was due to God's good pleasure. Notice what our passage doesn't say. It doesn't say that the Ephesians were such awesome people that God, the only right thing that God do, could do was bless them with these extraordinary spiritual blessings. God didn't, it, 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 Paul doesn't say that. It doesn't mention anything about the Ephesians meriting such favor and blessing from God. And in fact, next week, as we look at Ephesians 2, we will learn that it was quite the opposite. That the Ephesians were, they were train wrecks. They were train wrecks. And so why did God do this if what the Ephesians deserved was punishment for the ways that they rebelled against God and hurt people made in God's image? Why all these spiritual blessings for the Ephesians? And the answer is that it is in God's nature to love and extend grace. It's who God is. For no other reason but because it is in God's nature to love to extend grace, that's why God did it. Psalm 145.8 says, The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. If God wasn't, he would have just wiped the Ephesians off the planet and stopped them from ruining the world that he loves and he made good. Now this leads us to a third and final question. How does one take hold of the spiritual blessings God offers? Did you guys catch that phrase that's repeated all throughout this first chapter? I wonder if you caught it. The phrase is in him, in him, in Christ, in him, in him, in him. It's repeated. In fact, 36 times that phrase is in the book of Ephesians. In him, in him, in him. 
what does it mean to then be in Christ? Because what Ephesians tells us that these spiritual blessings comes to the person that's in Christ. So what does that mean? To be in Christ means to be united to Christ's life, his death, and his resurrection through repentance and faith. That's what it means to be in Christ. You see, when we turn from our life of sin to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, his perfect life is counted as ours so that God views us and sees us as holy and without blame, right? As if we did all the good things that Jesus did. And Jesus' death becomes ours so that when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin record because it's been paid for by Jesus' blood. And his resurrection becomes ours as God blesses us, blesses us now with every spiritual blessing, which is that guarantee and a signal that we will receive the promised inheritance, new heavens, new earth, resurrected body with the resurrected Jesus with the resurrected earth, in, in the resurrected, on the resurrected earth. This is what it means to be in Christ. You see, the reason why God can treat us like Jesus is because he treated Jesus like you. He gave Jesus what you deserve. On the, on the cross, Jesus became, who he knew no sin, but he, came, he became sin for us and he was killed for it so that the justice of God could be satisfied and so that we could be forgiven. The reason that we can experience every spiritual blessing from heaven is because Jesus experienced hell, the curse of hell in our place. It's quite remarkable. And so I ask you this morning, and I'll wrap up with this, are you spiritually rich? Are you spiritually rich? Are you in Christ experiencing now the spiritual blessings that God gives to his children? If you are not and you're spiritually impoverished, why not turn to Jesus today in repentance and faith? Become a, become a part of his family. Receive him as your good father who blesses and blesses and blesses and blesses. I also will challenge you parents. Are you raising your kids to be experientially rich? To be financially rich? To be accomplishment rich? To be influential and have, you know, to be rich because they have so much in, in terms of influence? Or is your focus on ensuring that your children are spiritually rich and that their whole life flows out of that reality. What are you about as parents? So I challenge you with that this morning. Let's pray. God, our Father, we are so grateful for you. Thank you that uh, you have pursued us. Even when we were so undeserving you came after us in Christ to reconcile us to yourself. Thank you that it is in your nature to love, to extend mercy and grace. Lord, thank you that you not only 
adopt us into your family, Father, but you then, as a good Father, you bless us with every uh, spiritual blessing. Thank you that we can experience those blessings now. And we look forward to the day, Jesus, when you return and you make all things new. And then we receive the consummation of our glorious inheritance in you. And each day will be better than the last. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, I would say this too. What response can we give to God as a result of answering these three questions? The only response, and this is what Paul does in verses 15 through 23, is to praise, right? To worship. And what Paul does for the Ephesians is he prays that these truths would become more real to them. And I pray that for me and for you.